Welcome to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. We're sponsored by Vespa, nature's catalyst for optimizing fat metabolism. This week, we're talking to Christine Abrego. So I started marathon running, and of course, I felt like I needed you know, some guidance, and started to a group called San Jose Fit, uh, who you know had a great community of, of runners and sort of drank the gluten bagel <laughs> Kool-Aid. Started eating bagels and pastas and you know, doing the carbo loading, and just got it, I, it just really sick. I it went from feeling just uncomfortable bloats to full-on celiac in a matter of about a year and a half. I was at the end of my rope. And I think the last hospital um, visit that I had and um, checkup, they said, you know what, you are, we don't know what's wrong with you. You're constantly passing out. We don't know how long you're going to live. So I said, okay, well, then I'm going to get a running coach and make me faster so I can run Boston and, ha- and end happy. Because uh, I just felt it was sort of the end. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to Food for Thought. Today, we have a great guest, Christine Abrego. Peter has coached her, and she is one of his first success stories, so we're excited to have her on. So, Peter, why don't you give us a little background? Hi. Good afternoon, Stephanie and and Naomi. Uh, I wanted to have Christine on because she has a pretty compelling story, and she was one of the first people to uh, actually drink the Kool-Aid. And it, we met serendipitously through uh, a mutual acquaintance, and she contacted me, and um, I drove down to Saratoga one night to have dinner with her and um, her new boyfriend, Jonathan DeLuna, who is now her husband and father of their child, Heinrich Peter. Um, I'm proud to say Peter was named after me, um, but uh, but at the time... She was very curious because um, the people she had spoken with were saying how I had this this very different approach, and, and one of the people knew knew me and, and knew this worked and believed in it. And and she at the time was an analyst at Apple, um, pretty far up the food chain. I think were you at the at, were you the global uh, analyst for the the stores at that time? Yeah, and I am, and some people call that a chief of staff role. Uh, in the analytics community, but yes, uh, playing the chief of staff role to the VP and the GM of the Apple online stores. Yeah, so she was reporting to people like Tim Cook and and so forth at the time, and um, so she had a she had a pretty pretty good job, uh, but also she was um, using she had so she had access to the best and the brightest in terms of fitness and health and nutrition, and she was seeing some nutritionists that were prescribing to her exactly the opposite of what I was saying. They were doing the five to six meals a day, small meals a day, whole grains, lots of vegetables. And what Christine was seeing happen was this condition from all the exercise and healthy eating she was doing just got worse. And that's when she reached out to me. And um, I'm proud to say she she actually has said a couple of times, she credits me with saving her life because I got her turned around and with the help of – naturopath in Burlingame, uh, Dr. Melody Wong, um, who really dialed it in for her. Um, she went from being a celiac who couldn't even get near a crumb of bread without <laughs> having a, a big reaction to now having a healthy uh, baby boy and a wonderful lifestyle. And she's since moved on um, and, and to do great things. And so it's not just about the physiological shift of fat as fuel. It's not just about the exercising and the food, but it's about the whole lifestyle and Christine's journey. So um, I want to do the least bit of talking. I just want to do it up on the front end to kind of introduce Christine and let her tell her story. So, and let, let you girls kind of do the, 
the asking the questions because I think I think she represents a lot of what women in today's society are, are undergoing in terms of the their own internal wanting to strive and be good at everything. I think that's part of that mothering instinct. If you have a career, you want to mother that, nurture that. If you have children, you want to nurture that. You know, you want to be a good wife and, you know, and you also want to be good to your friends. So it's, I, I think it's quite a bit where guys tend not to be so attentive. I just want to hear Christine's story because I've heard great things about it. And sure. if Christine could just give us the, where you were in the past before you met Peter and yeah, let us hear yeah. the story. Sure, yeah. I mean, I can go, uh, this goes back so far. It's been a very, very long journey, although, you know, turned around completely when I met Peter. But, um, I'll start going early into my childhood. Um, I remember being a kid, um, you just getting sick randomly. And we say randomly because I'm, I'm Latin American, Mexican. Um, so we generally don't eat gluten. Uh, our, ba- our diet is primarily corn based and, and obviously, uh, Meat-based, um, but uh, so we would, you know, obviously have the occasional uh, American dinner here and there, and I would get pretty ill. Um, and so that uh, didn't really hit me until about college, where I moved out of uh, my home, my parents' home, and went to college, and then uh, you know started consuming those foods. That was the, the the sandwiches, the you know the <laughs> the burritos to hold me through through dinner, and, and started getting progressively ill. Um, I moved to Northern California uh, from LA back in, I want to say 2000, and started marathon running. Um, I've always been a runner, uh, primarily short distance, probably about, you know, I would say half marathons or, or less than that. Uh, so I started marathon running, and of course I felt like I needed, you know, some guidance. And so I talked to the marathon community, looked up blogs, and went to a, a, a group called San Jose Fit, who, you know, had a great community of, of runners and sort of drank the gluten bagel <laughs> Kool-Aid um, and started eating bagels and pastas and you know, doing the carbo-loading and just got it, I, it just really sick. I it went from feeling just uncomfortable bloats, you know, I, I think I was diagnosed IBS in my early 20s, uh, to full-on celiac in a matter of about a year and a half. Um, I uh, continued to get sick um, about 2008 uh, or nine. Um, I was in and out of the hospital, uh, probably uh, once or twice uh, a month. Um, fitness races, always in the medical tent, uh, vomiting, uh, palpitations, uh, mild seizures, with no diagnosis from any doctor. Uh, so, and, and not to mention the, the stress at work. I was working at Apple, so <laughs> I was trying to be um, successful, and, and just started my uh, career at Apple, and so I was looking working very long hours and constantly sick. Um, I met an acquaintance while I was at Apple um, who referred me to Peter. And during that time, I was in and out of the doctor's office um, with pre-diagnosis of, um, uh, I think it was uh, schizophrenia or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. Uh, Yeah, schizophrenia, cancer, um, uh, lupus, um, all kinds of random things. Um, so I, I just did, I was at the end of my rope and I think the last hospital, um, visit that I had, um, and checkup, they said, you know what, you are, we don't know what's wrong with you. You're constantly passing out. We don't know how long you're going to live. So I said, okay, well, then I'm going to get a running coach and make me faster so I can run Boston and, and, and happy. Uh, cause I just felt it was sort of the end. So hence meeting Peter, <laughs> I said, well, Peter, 
I just want to get faster. I don't know what's wrong. And I had in my head that this was it. I was going to do one last run and my life was going to be cut short. So I um, talked to Peter and it was, and I remember this conversation, Peter, I don't know if you remember this conversation. I just remember <laughs> having the venison. <laughs> no, before that you told me, listen, you got to drop some weight. <laughs> you're going to give up gluten and you're going to feel like crap. And you're going to feel like crap for like two weeks. And, you know, you don't worry, you'll get through it, and then you'll start feeling better, and we'll tweak your diet, and, and, I, and, I, and I gave up gluten, and I started feeling really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I started feeling really good pretty quickly. And I remember calling you and emailing you and saying, why do I feel good? And you were the first person to say, have checked if you're celiac. <laughs> uh, and that's where the journey started with my doctors. Uh, I mentioned celiac. Um, they were just blown away by it, by it being something so simple after being, I don't know how many medications I was. I was on steroids. I was on antidepressants. I was on anti-anxiety. Oh, God, I, could, I don't know how many. I did have a period for 17 years, so no need for birth control. Um, yeah, a whole myriad of pills and options and whatnot. So uh, Peter's like, well, that's kind of weird. You should feel good. But at that point, I think I was... Um, I want to say I was three or four months in of being gluten-free when I saw my first doctor who was going to test for celiac, and this was a Stanford doctor. And I said, you know, I think I have celiac. Can you test me? And they said, well, okay, are you currently eating gluten? I said, well, no, I've given it up for about four months or so, but, you know, I just want to get tested. And they actually told me I, they couldn't test me because I needed to eat gluten and needed to go to the reactions again. Um, so I said, well, that's kind of silly. My reactions are severe. I get seizures and vomiting and, you know, I, I pass out in certain cases. So I, I really don't want to go through that. They told me I had to. So I said, screw, screw yourselves. <laughs> so I didn't. And so I've never been formally diagnosed. I did get a biopsy done in my, uh, what is that, the esophagus, where they put that tube down your throat just to sort of check your stomach lining and that. So, and then there was a colonoscopy of that. So I, Got a prelim diagnosis saying, you know, I see some damage, but in order to diagnose the severity, I have to, I, you have to eat gluten. So I still to this day don't know the severity. I also got tested for the DH, some sort of um, genetic testing, and I tested positive for, for that. So I'm pretty confident without the Stanford diagnosis that I am celiac. Yeah, yeah you don't need to, you know, it's, it's like the formal diagnosis. If you have all the signs, it, it exists with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that, I had that peace of mind. So, you know, I'd screw the doctors. I, I already know. I picked up my training quite a bit um, because I was just feeling so good. And Peter, I don't remember my, my last marathon times. I think what, before I met you, my, my marathon time was 5.30, 5.15. The year I switched to OFM. And did Vespa. I went from a 5:30 to a 4:15 there. Wow! And then the year after that, <laughs> and that's then incredible. I broke four hours that same year. That's exciting! So, wow! Yeah, it was, felt fantastic. Yeah. Um. So all the training tricks that that you know Peter helped me with, um, the you know, strategic use of carbs, staying on FM, the uh, strategic use of Vespa when I race. Um, it, it just it paid off completely. Um, so I was really excited about being sub four and was shooting for for Boston Marathon. But my health was so good, and and, and um, I loved feeling good 
that I focused on my life. Because, uh, you know, doctors think, well, you know, you're not going to live much longer. So I, I reevaluated my life, you know, and, and I reevaluated what do I need to do. So I'm pretty successful at Apple and my marathon times were really great, but I hadn't had a boyfriend in about seven years. <laughs> um, so I refocused my life, feeling more positive and optimistic about my future. Um, started dating Jonathan, who met me in the very early stages of, of changing my diet um, and, and took that relationship seriously. And I looked into uh, fertility. So, you know, what can I do now that I feel great, my training's on track, um, you know, to, to possibly have a family. And, of course, wanted to do more athletically. So I also joined CrossFit on top of my endurance training. <laughs> and uh, Christine, uh, for the audience, the audience needs to know, that Christine is, a, is an overachiever. Where, <laughs> let's, where, did you, where did you go? No. Where did you go to? Where's your university education from? Uh, my undergrad and master's at Long Beach State, I started my doctorate at Harvard. Yeah. Wow, so you're, see, I sort of got the gist that she was not a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she probably, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, so she started CrossFit along with her running and, and all that. So take it away, Christine. Well, I figured I, yeah, I, I, I discovered lifting heavy. and fun. I couldn't lift heavy before. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Well, well, one of the things that I noticed with you, Christine, was, was it seemed like, you know, with Jonathan as your partner who, who, who totally took, took the OFM dietary part and took it to another level, um, plus you guys working out, it seemed like the more you worked out, the, the more fitter and fertile and everything else you became. I mean, just, it was really interesting kind of watching your trajectory. Yeah, and the whole lifestyle changed too, right? You feel better, you want to do more things, but you also balance everything, right? So it wasn't only about training, um, but it was about how to incorporate your life, your training, your philosophy, uh, and the stress, right? We talked about just being stressed and the impact of stress and incorporating all those things into into life. So yeah, that was a turn CrossFit and endurance training and, and meeting and marrying Jonathan were sort of uh, ice cream on top of... I want to say cake, but I don't really eat cakes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was a great turning point. And then um, CrossFit thing sort of uh, pushed me even further because I wanted to get stronger and faster. Um, I ended up actually getting pregnant in my early days of CrossFit, um, actually just by not even actually trying. Um, I wanted to assess how I could get pregnant, so I talked to my doctors about starting a period again. Um, I noticed, I want to say, three years after going OFM, uh, my body was trying to get a period. And I say trying because it was very sporadic, light, um, and there's there no predictability around it. So it was obviously, when you're trying to get pregnant, there has to be some sort of pattern. So the help of Dr. Wong and Peter and, and doing a lot of um, awful foods, and the, the OFFA of foods, um, livers and, and all those kind of stuff. Um, I started ovulating and um, just ended up not really paying attention to trying necessarily, but uh, knowing that I had a period and it was stable, got pregnant um, pretty much uh, the third month after getting a regular cycle. So that obviously did stop me from crossfitting. Um, I crossfitted up until month eighth of my pregnancy. Um, won a mini competition in my CrossFit box <laughs> at, uh, at six months pregnant. Um, 
So that's, uh, that was really, uh, awesome. Um, and now I'm incorporating that lifestyle with my son, Heinrich Peter, uh, as Peter mentioned, named after Peter. Uh, he's a mm-hmm. miracle baby in my, in my book, uh, who is also very paleo. We don't know if he's got the autoimmune uh, condition too early to test. Um, but, uh, he's been pretty, uh, paleo eating his, uh, medium rare steaks, um, eggs and, uh, raw milk early, early on. So, um, that is my, uh, story so far. Career wise, though, I did mention that Apple was a pretty demanding job and I did end up switching jobs, uh, just for the sake of my, uh, sanity and <laughs> my lifestyle. I had to have a work-life balance, but uh, I'm still, um, playing a chief of staff role for Franklin Temple Investments, um, and trying to, you know, keep, uh, keep busy mentally as well in my career, so. That is my. Christine, can story. I ask you um, a couple of questions? Sure. Where I guess um, for me, uh, I was very type A. So, how hard did you find the transition? As in, um, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's as type A, you know, women <laughs> try and do. How did you find the integration and, and what did you do to make it easier for you? Yeah, as I guess most runner do, I used to have a runner log with my miles and food and feeling all jotted down. Um, I channeled that sort of type A mentality to my diet instead. So how much, how many carbs I'm intaking? Am I getting the right level of nutrients? What are my supplements? Are they looking right? So instead of focusing on the mileage and sort of logging those heart rates and all that kind of stuff, I switched over to Am I doing the right things kind of tracking? And that made it a lot easier. And then as that mental transition happened, I ended up um, learning this concept that Peter taught me, which is learning how to go by feel, <laughs> uh, which is really, really difficult to do. But uh, that going by feel really changed my whole type A personality a little bit. Um, but it took me a while. I think it took me about two years <laughs> to ditch the feedlock. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's like I say, the metrics, the, the, the numerical metrics are great tools, but if you start chasing those and using those as the front end, whether it's heart rate, calories, macronutrient profiles, you know, pace, watts, whatever, and not coordinate them to the feel, the feeling you get and learning to correlate that to an overall picture, it, it you end up chasing it. And then it just drives you nuts mentally because you're, you're, you're putting so much conscious thought in that. When you put that much conscious thought in, it's a stressor and triggers cortisol response, et cetera. Yeah, Peter, one of the tricks you taught me that worked really well for me is when I did the journal, you actually asked me to log how I feel because I wasn't logging how I feel. I was logging and, and the, are your legs heavy? You're like, no, dig deeper. Did, you know, and I think one of the things I learned was once you tie the feeling, and then I talk to you, Peter, and you say, well, when did you take your Vespa? Did you have enough salts? What did your fats look like before? Then you sort of, tr- you t- you're able to tie your diet, your use of, of uh, Vespa, and how you feel together. And so then it becomes more intuitive. Um, so that's actually how I, I sort of fine-tuned it towards the end, where you were helping us, for me, connect the dots between feeling when you use strategic carbs when you use Vespa and making it relative to myself, because everybody is obviously unique. Um, and being able to feel that is, is huge. 
Yes. Yeah, I know. And I think the other thing that was really helpful in your situation was having Jonathan, you know, be totally 200% all in about the lifestyle and diet and cooking, making all these things because he's a phenomenal guy as far as searching out all these recipes and finding things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does all the meats. I cook all the desserts. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do the bone marrow and, and chicken broth. I will stick to my almond flour cookies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he was extremely helpful. He's also an ultra runner. So ultra runners, uh, by default, are very laid back. <laughs> yeah. That would have helped you as well. Oh, yes. His In that less stress process of you know, developing into OFM. Yeah, it's actually why I signed up for my first uh, ultra marathon. Uh, I love this laid back mentality so far. <laughs> well, there's plenty. Of, there's plenty of Type A ultra runners out there, but it's it as a as a group, it's not nearly as uber Type A as say the triathlon sphere is. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation. So. Um, yeah, and, and, um, I think the other thing we should probably talk about, um, you know, we've covered the fertility and I know that that has special meaning to you, Naomi, but, um, also like the mental focus and how that helps in the, the work life balance. Would you care to kind of expound on your story there? You mean the fact that I had lack of focus? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was a transition for just not being able to, uh, focus. Um, it was very hard. It was definitely an effort. Um, and it took a lot of energy, and I was constantly just tired and drained. Um, but being able to make that switch, um, or actually, and it was very gradual. I actually didn't really realize it until, you know, just reflecting back how clear things are now and how easier it is to have that level of focus. So before, I was, you know, just a lot of the effort was around trying to get that clarity. Now the effort is really more how to execute against what I see or what I feel, or just being you know, able to execute on what I know. So it's actually so much easier. Uh, but again, I didn't realize it uh, until after. Um, but I just, did, I just couldn't, I couldn't focus. Uh, I just didn't have that right level of clarity. And did so, you find the transition um, quite hard? Like, as in, how did you with your training? Because you were doing such high mileage. Did you find that transition mm-hmm. from carbohydrate to fat? There was a transition yeah. process. How long did that last? Yeah, good question. Because mileage-wise, too, right? When I was doing the Sub four marathon, I actually was running less than I was when I was doing the 530 marathon. <laughs> um, the carb, um, so I guess I'll handle that two separate ways. The transition between carbs was not very hard. Um, I think it was horrible for the first, uh, I want to say the first month of actual heart training just because of the sugar, you know, and this is just because of my celiac condition. My sugar levels were just wonky and I would get hypoglycemic pretty quickly. And so for me, having to know how to manage that, um, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, tea with, with honey um, in the early stages just to sort of bring my sugar levels back to normal. But um, after about a month or so, my body learned how to adapt um, and then learned how to use uh, carbs and fat before a long run and feeling satiated after meals, after having the high fat and not needing the carbs. So that was... It wasn't a, a hard transition. It was actually rather quick, but the first couple of weeks were uh, kind of a roller coaster. I remember calling Peter and, and asking, like, oh, my God, what's this feeling? And like, your sugar's probably dropping. Have some tea. <laughs> um, so, and that really helped. Yeah, and, and part of what we did at that time was, was, was also what you were talking about, 
you're feeling and when to use a Vespa to prevent mm-hmm. that hypoglycemia. Yeah, and, and you know, it would happen at work. I remember having Vespa at my desk. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was. I said through the tea. <laughs> Sometimes during a meeting that I'm about to present, um, I was responsible for presenting quarterly updates or product release updates, which are always really stressful. Um, I would literally drink a Vespa beforehand and go present, and then I would also uh, not run as much. Felt my running was more efficient, so I was running for quality, not quantity. Um, so that that's also the other training piece that changed quite dramatically. And being able to know that I don't need to log that many miles to get faster was hard for me to wrap my head around, but it's one I'm mm. getting with. A question about going back to when you were seeing all those doctors, I guess the question I have is, what is your take on the disconnect between doctors not really listening to yeah. what's going on? Yeah, I think the doctors do a really good job of treating your symptoms but not curing the underlying issue. So once I got diagnosed with celiac, they were quick to give me things that would make me feel better and were able to tolerate my reaction, but they weren't addressing the reaction itself. And, you know, if you, I don't know if this is controversial, but when you go to medical school, it's really about treating symptoms. It's not about getting to the underlying issue and really diagnosing the leading up to issue. Um, So I made a choice, although I could have, stayed with Western medicine and done the steroids and, and, and I think I was on um, a couple of other uh, stuff to help me sleep and, and whatnot. I was feeling okay. I just didn't want to be dependent on, you know, what I consider band-aids. I mean, no offense to those who, who absolutely need them, but I felt like there would be something more uh, that, can, that can maybe prevent me from having to be on Western. And so I think that with the combination of Western and my natural path, both of them together is probably, well, for me at least, the most beneficial because my celiac is pretty severe, and I do still see my Western doctor for the flare-ups that are extremely painful. Um, that you know, naturopaths just can't cure quickly or can't heal quickly. So I think balancing the two, and I do see both, um, helps me sort of get through this condition and. and living with them together. Does that answer your question? Because I don't think yeah, it's... Yeah, no, I think I that's think a good anything, answer. But. And I think that's a good point you make, Christine. It's a balance because, you know, if somebody has an infection, a serious infection, that's the time you, d- you do need to take antibiotics or they're in acute pain and all that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we should be looking at what what is setting up the situation. So sometimes they can't be helped, but, you know... You know, when you have an acute situation, Naomi, I know you've been through a few few little tumbles both lately and in your past. You know, they, these are the things that save your life. Right. Yeah. That, I wasn't until I went to a, reg, a naturopath and then a, later a Chinese medicine doctor. I don't really have asthma unless I deviate from my, my diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I have the same thing. In the springtime, I get hay fever and, and just... And I used to get exercise-induced asthma in the spring, and, and, and now I get a few symptoms in the spring, but I don't get exercise-induced asthma. I'm not miserable. Um, so I, I I think, you know, that's true, Stephanie. It was just dietary changes that, that triggered that for me, too. Right. But I think it's good for people to know, like, hey, one is good, but that doesn't mean the other one's either that they can all be included in a profile of someone who's pursuing yeah. good health. 
the concept that they can be complementing one another, I think, is new in that. It's, it's just a new concept because usually you get the mentality that you pick one or the other, right? Oh, you go to Western. Oh, you go to naturopath. And, right. you know, in my book, it's, well, you do both. They complement one another. Um, you know, for, for people with my situation, it's, it's critical. Um, so. Yeah, so uh, one question I have uh, I'd like you to speak to the audience about is, is one of the things that a lot of people initially will brush off OFM with is, is, oh, that's too hard. And so maybe you could speak to how once you get through that transition phase and on your path, it just gets easier and easier as a lifestyle. Yeah, I think people who say it's too hard have never felt the benefit of it because if anything new is going to be hard just because it's different, right? Right. Um, and if you don't experience the benefit of it, then the, the, the cost of changing something just isn't, uh, you just can't see it. But I think once um, people realize how, you know, what the benefit is for them. For instance, for me, it was feeling better. It was um, just being able to go out to dinner, right? I, I dreaded going out to dinner. Um, some other people might be getting faster and stronger. If you knew that was the case with this diet, I think the whole, it's hard, it would be just thrown out the window if you see the benefits. Um, but, you know, honestly, it is difficult um, to stick to the diet, um, if you don't have a lifestyle that supports it, you know, if, if you are going out to eat all the time and you won't cook or you won't um, change any diet, then that, yeah, it is hard because McDonald's won't have <laughs> uh, stuff that I could eat. <laughs> so if you're dependent on fast food, yeah, it's hard. But if you're willing to be open-minded about, you know, exploring other options, then it's actually not that hard. And you could probably integrate the, um, the eating out and still be OFM as well, like just have a steak mm-hmm. and veggies and butter, you know. Um, just mm-hmm. and you can order specific things, can't you? Oh yeah. The, the fear like, for do me you was eat really out more. Now? I do um, absolutely all the time. Um, my fear before was cross contamination because early on, I was so severe that any cross contamination just I would be I'd be really sick. But I've built mm-hmm. up. I've built up, I guess, well enough the immune system now that I can go out to eat. And you know what? I can eat gluten now and not be bedridden. So it was a huge shift from where I was before. Um, now, I choose not to, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I can tolerate it now so I'm less fearful of going out and less fearful of cross-contamination. And if I do have a bite of something that had you know, flour, and I'm okay. Um, so that's where the, the fear originally came from. What would you tell somebody who's struggling right now? I mean, a lot, like Peter said, a lot of people who are listening to this probably have already bought into at least part of what we're talking about. But somebody who's a a high-carb athlete who may have digestive problems but not so bad that it's um, debilitating them, what would what would you tell them about like your about changing about how long it takes and you had a huge, taking an hour and a half off your time is pretty huge. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. what? how long would you tell somebody that it would take to get to that point, like to make the change and going through the rough time? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, goes, it depends on how in it you're willing to go. <laughs> I mean, I went all in. But, you know, if, if they're completely committed, you know, it, it, it's, and I mean, it takes months, I think. I mean, I was... I think I did, what, a year is where I cut off that one hour, but I was, I made a whole, but it's hard to do that. Like, people say, oh, it's so difficult. And so I have friends who did baby steps towards it, right? 
they would give up bread. They would give up, you know, this one thing. The, the benefit takes longer, right? Because you're only doing a little bit, but it's actually easier for them to do to change their lifestyle than it is to go completely different. So, you know, I would, first conversations I have with folks is, you know, do you want to go all in and change your entire lifestyle? Are you ready for that? Because that's a big shift. Um, and then you'll see, you know, impacts quicker. Or do you want something that's a little more easier to manage on day to day in your life, but you won't see necessarily the quick and fast results in your training um, uh, as fast, right? So I think it depends on the person, but uh, either way you go, you will see the benefit. Um, it's just a matter of working it into your lifestyle. I love your story, Christine. Thanks. Yeah, it's I get such a lot a of journey. questions. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a journey for sure, and it's constant. <laughs> it's a constant <laughs> journey. And maybe I, you know, I can do a podcast after I do an ultra. <laughs> Oh, yeah, God. that would be that awesome. Would be, so, what? How far is your ultra? Is it a fifty k, fifty miler, a hundred miler? Uh, I'm doing the American River fifty miler. Oh, uh, April. Well, I got I got talked into pacing her. Oh well, that's good. <laughs> she did name her child after you. Well, you need some motivation, don't you? Yeah, I need a lot of motivation. So you guys just keep kicking me because I need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, I'm conquering one big thing with AR-50. The only reason I didn't want to do AR-50 was purely a fear. Fear of getting sick. Fear of just seizuring. And uh, you know, with Peter there, I sort of have, you can carry that monkey for me because I don't want that monkey on my back anymore. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, this would be a nice race to sort of kick that monkey off my back and know that I'm, I'm well enough to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, I think you will be, and even, you know, we never know with AR-50, because one of the problems with AR-50 is it takes place right in the height of a hay fever season, so that's um, that's always a crapshoot with, with certain people, so I, I know it affects me, but it, it depends on how sensitive you are to hay fever, you know, grass pollen and the like, but we'll just see how it goes, and if not, we'll, we'll punch out another one for you somewhere. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I said, like I say, a 50 miler or a 50k or a 100k for a really fit male, it really isn't any more than what, what humans evolved to do, which is being on their feet moving all day. And mm -hmm. so, um, that's, you know, your, what you're striving for is something that, that I think is, you know, for your level of fitness, quite achievable. Yeah. I mean, being a mom too, now I know how moms run ultras, man. You are on your feet all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I train for a marathon and I come home and my ultra begins with my son. <laughs> yeah. That's a fabulous story. I think that I, it's so nice to hear that when a doctor tells you that you're going to die, I mean, that's pretty horrific. And then you've made a complete turnaround and have a son and now you're going to run a 50 mile ultra marathon. I mean, talk about, it's a pretty good success story. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. That's why I think I got pregnant. I'm like, Peter, I'm naming this child after to you. <laughs> this would have never been possible. Never in a million years would I have thought that we'd be where we are today. 